crossroads of empires, battleground of the ages, city of peace and of war. This is Jerusalem, where archaeology uncovers the empires of yesterday, where prophecy decodes the headlines of today. This is where history and prophecy come alive. This is Watch Jerusalem. Hello and welcome to Watch Jerusalem. I'm Chris Eames, your host for today's program. And today we'll be wrapping up our podcast series on the Lost Tribes of Israel. Looking back now, it's been about a year since our first podcast in the series, starting with the tribe of Reuben, and I believe this is our 13th installment on this subject, examining the modern identity of the lost tribes of Israel, as they're called. Now, the idea for doing this came a couple of years ago. It originally was intended as an article uh, on the tribe of Reuben, a follow-up to some of our material published by our editor-in-chief. And so perhaps we'll be able to have an article in future for these tribes of Israel, looking at how they became lost and where they are today. We'll see, how, we'll see what happens there. Uh, but but this will close off our podcast series on this subject. Now, it's been a big question for centuries, millennia, really. Uh, where are the lost tribes of Israel? What happened to them after they were deported from Israel by the Assyrians? The identity of the Jews, those of the tribe of Judah, remains known. There are nearly 15 million Jews around the world that are known, that are recognizable, that are identifiable, uh, that, that know themselves who they are. But what about the other tribes? What about the majority of Israel? If there are some 15 million Jews... And even then, a population that would have been much, much bigger were it not for all the anti-Semitic genocidal events throughout history, such as the Holocaust, pogroms, etc. Then how many more people could there potentially be from all the other tribes? Where did they go? What happened to them? If you've been following this program, you'll know that we've been through all the individual tribes. And so for today's program, I want to do a general recap of the tribes of Israel in general as a whole, what happened to them, where they went. And then for the final part of this program, we'll look at why it is important to study the modern identity of the lost tribes and the end-time prophecies relating to them. But first, let's get into a summary of these lost ten tribes. Now, the basis of this, this research is an excellent book written by our founder, Herbert W. Armstrong. Mr. Armstrong asked and then answered these same questions. He compiled a large number of scriptures that, that actually prophesy the direction in which lost Israel would travel, scriptures that prophesy what their future descendants would look like, their end-time characteristics, for the various tribes, and even the nature of their prophesied territories in which they would end up. The Bible even reveals prophetic time frames for when certain future events would happen to them. So there's a lot of stuff, shall we say, that the Bible reveals about these so-called lost tribes. The Bible even reveals why they became lost to worldview and actually prophesies the general modern blindness to who these people are today. And we'll go through that on this program, in this recap of the Lost Ten Tribes in general. 
But let's go back and get some background for what happened to begin with, how these tribes became lost. In the 10th century BCE, King Solomon reigned over a glorious, united, single kingdom of Israel, unbroken. But after his death, during the reign of his son Solomon, the northern ten tribes rebelled as a result of his oppressive rule. They split off and they became known as the northern kingdom of Israel, the Israelites. Now, the remaining two tribes, ruled by Rehoboam, they became the southern kingdom of Judah, the Jews. So while all the tribes can be collectively referred to as Israelites, only the kingdom of Judah became known as the Jews. The southern kingdom of Judah is a short form of the tribal name Judah, Judah, Jews. And it's even more clear in the Hebrew. Uh, You have Jews, uh, Yehudim, and Judah is Yehudah. So the Jews are, by name, those of the kingdom of Judah. That's how they're referred to in the Bible, which, as the Bible reveals, was primarily made up of the tribe of Judah, but also the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin stuck alongside Judah. Several of the tribe of Levi did as well. They continued to live in the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, so, So the southern kingdom became known as uh, the kingdom of Judah, the the Jews, even though there were the Benjamites and Levites with them. But today, many assume that that, that the term Jews refers to all Israelites. But the Bible makes it clear this is simply not the case. In fact, the first time in the Bible that the word Jews is used, it's in a passage to describe the Jews fighting against the Israelites. Now, at the end of the 8th century BCE, the Israelites were invaded. They were totally conquered by the Assyrians, the Assyrian Empire, as a result of their sins. The Bible describes the entire nation being uh, uprooted and deported out of their land, all the northern ten tribes. And the Bible describes them being deported away as far as northern Iran, before the biblical record stops, before that, uh, before before it cuts out, before we hear anything more of them. So from this point forward, they become known as the lost tribes of Israel. And in their place, in Second Kings seventeen, we read about how the Assyrian king fills that northern territory uh, of of the kingdom of Israel, fills the land with a new group of people from various foreign lands, and these people became known as the Samaritans uh, after the former name of the Israelite capital, Samaria. So we have the Israelites completely uprooted, sent away as far as northern Iran. They become known as the Lost Ten Tribes, and in their place we see the Samaritans ceded by uh, by the Assyrians. But the Jews continued on to remain in the land, in their southern part of the Holy Land, for about another 150 years. So then, around about 586 BCE, they were invaded by the Babylonians. Many of them were deported. Some did remain in the land. Uh, But the Jews never lost their identity. Their continuing story is recorded, well recorded, in the books of Esther, uh, Daniel, Ezra, and Nehemiah. The, The books of Ezra and Nehemiah Uh, actually described the return of many of those deported Jews to Jerusalem. And these books contain detailed genealogies of these people. And which tribes make up those Jewish 
populations, again, precisely the same as those of the kingdom of Judah, primarily the tribe of Judah, but also part of the tribes of Benjamin and Levi. These people are the Jews. The Jews are not all Israel, are not all of the Israelites. So the Jews of today then are descendants of the southern kingdom of Judah. So what happened to these other lost tribes? The Bible actually describes one of the primary reasons that the Israelites lost their identity as them stopping keeping the Sabbath. The, the Bible highlights the Sabbath commandment as one of two key commandments that identify the people of God. Today, everybody knows and identifies the Jews by the Sabbath, by their Sabbath keeping. And it's one of the, one of the reasons that the Jews are known as the people of God. But the Israelites, of course, as we read about in the Bible, the Israelites rebelled. Their first king, Jeroboam, actually changed the days of worship And the Israelites became totally entrenched in pagan customs. So it should come as no surprise then that when they were deported, if they had sort of made themselves like every other nation, it would be no surprise that they would become lost and in many ways unrecognizable. But are they impossible to track? What happened to the lost ten tribes? What happened to the Israelites, to each of these different tribes all with their different quirks and distinct characteristics described in the Bible, tribes of Reuben, Simeon, Dad, Dan, Gad, Asher, Ephraim, Manasseh, Zebulun, Naphtali, as well as those missing parts of Levi and Benjamin. Where did they all go? Some 800 years after their departure, after their deportation, the historian Josephus wrote that only two tribes of the southern kingdom of Judah remained subject to the Romans in the land. But he said that the ten tribes, quote, the ten tribes are beyond the Euphrates till now and are an immense multitude. So during the time of Josephus, he recognized that these ten tribes are still out there and they are an immense multitude beyond the Euphrates River. So where did this immense multitude go? Where did they migrate to? There are biblical markers as well as secular markers. Uh, We've been going through that tribe by tribe in this series. Uh, The Bible prophesies of the direction that the Israelites would go. Now, Isaiah 49 verse 12 affirms that the tribes would end up northwest of the Holy Land. They would largely be found northwest of the Holy Land. So that means they must have continued to travel on up into the European continent from Iran after the fall of the Assyrian Empire, and they no longer became slaves. Ancient Assyrian inscriptions refer to the Israelites as Qumri, that name was given to them, named after one of their first one of the first Israelite kings, King Omri, uh, pronounced slightly differently. The Israelites called themselves the uh, well, the Assyrians called the Israelites the House of Qumri or House of Omri. So House of Qumri to the Assyrians, and their deportations really ins- uh, ensured that 
the people would no longer be attached to their land. They, they sent their captives so far away from their land that there was no uh, idea or hope of returning, trying to sort of cauterize their attachments to the land. And that's what they did with the ancient Israelites. Again, as the Bible describes, sending them far away to the land of the Medes, far away to, uh, to even as far as northern Iran sending these Qumri, these Israelites, to that area. Now, it's around this point in secular history that a civilization comes on the scene known as the Khmerians. These people are believed to have migrated from the region of Iran on up into Asia Minor. The Greeks called these people the Khmeroi. The Babylonians called them the Gmiri. Historians have connected the Welsh term Khmeri to them. So these people are uh, are known as the Celts. These people became what are known commonly as the Celts, the Kimri, Kimbri, Gimiri, Kumri, all variously called by the surrounding nations the Celtic people. Even today, the Celtic country of Wales is referred to uh, uh, in the Welsh language as Kimru. Now, history shows that these early Celts migrated up and across Europe, conquering and establishing themselves on the continent and in the Isles. Remember what Isaiah 49 prophesies about Israel being found primarily northwest of the Holy Land. And Jeremiah 31 verse 8 says likewise, and it adds further details. It states that these Israelites would end up uh, in territory to the north of the Holy Land, with control of the coasts and the ends of the earth. And multiple scriptures make mention of end-time Israel among the isles. So what territory is located primarily northwest of the Holy Land, with coasts, with isles, with control of dominions at the ends of the earth, quote-unquote? It is, of course, Western Europe and the British Isles. And so not only does the passage, the name, and the time frames match, so too do the practices. The religious and legal order of the Celts was dominated by the pagan Druids. And this class, this Druid, uh, Druidic class, actually resembles quite closely the priestly class of pagan Israel in the Promised Land. And I'll leave a link to one of our articles on that subject on our website watchjerusalem.co.il. But the Bible gets even more specific, right down to the tribes, what they would be like, where they would end up. You see, of the, tw- of the ten tribes, the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh were to become the chief leading tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh. And these two were to receive the birthright blessings, the chiefest blessings of Abraham, promised for Abraham's obedience, the birthright of those would go to Ephraim and Manasseh. They were to be passed down from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph, and we read of this being passed on to these two tribal patriarchs, Ephraim and Manasseh. In Genesis 48, the the patriarch Jacob blesses Ephraim and Manasseh. He prophesies that their tribes would ultimately inherit the richest birthright blessings, He states specifically that Manasseh would one day become a single great nation on the world scene and that his brother Ephraim would be a great company or commonwealth of nations. One single great nation and one commonwealth of nations. 
And these two were specifically prophesied to receive the most remarkable, fertile lands, control of the gates of their enemies, as the Bible calls it, the gates of their enemies. And they were to have such power that they would touch, literally touch and influence all corners of the earth. Now, which brother nations have fulfilled these prophecies? It has to be the island nation of Britain and her commonwealth, the greatest empire, the greatest company of nations that the world has ever seen, and the brother nation of America, the United States of America, the the greatest single nation, single superpower nation on earth, just as was prophesied to, to Manasseh and Ephraim. And together, these two brother nations inherited nearly three-fourths of the cultivated wealth and resources of the whole world. They far surpassed the uh, riches of uh, all other nations. Their, Their power and influence certainly has touched all corners of the globe like no other nations. The British Commonwealth indeed possessed and colonized territories at the ends of the earth, as the Bible describes, Ephraim and Manasseh were prophesied to, again, to control the gates of their enemies, and the U.S. and Britain controlled all the sea gates of the world. Together, these two entities began to skyrocket on the world scene in power and influence, particularly from around 1800 onwards. But the Bible even prophesies this time frame about when these two entities would receive these blessings of Abraham specifically that they would receive them after a withholding period of 2,520 years. And counting 2,520 years from the Israelite captivity and deportation in 721 to 718 BCE, that's when the northern kingdom of Israel was uprooted and deported, counting forward from that date 2,520 years brings us to 1800 to 1803, that start time frame here, the exact point where the U.S. and British powers begin their exponential growth on the world scene to superpower status, Britain becoming the largest empire in the world, and the U.S. the single great nation, great superpower in the world, just again as was prophesied to Ephraim and Manasseh. So it's for this and and numerous other reasons that Mr. Armstrong entitled his book on this research of the Lost Ten Tribes. He titled it The United States and Britain in Prophecy. And he primarily focused on the identity of these two birthright tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh, as well as the scepter tribe of Judah, the Jews, represented by the Middle East State of Israel, the Nation of Israel, Uh, in the Middle East, as well as the Jews around the world. These represent the tribe of Judah. And you can request a free copy of his book, The United States and Britain and Prophecy, on our website, watchjerusalem.co.il. Please do order a copy. I think it's our most popular book, uh, requested by around 6 million people thus far. And it contains much more information, scriptures, secular history, Uh, in its 200 pages. So that's Ephraim and Manasseh, as well as the Jews, the tribe of Judah. But as we've been going through on this program, what about the other tribes, the other Celtic peoples that migrated into Western Europe? 
This is what Mr. Armstrong says on page 108 of his book, quote, We lack space for a detailed explanation of the specific identity of all of these other tribes in the nations of our 20th century. Suffice it to say here that there is ample evidence that these other eight tribes have descended into such northwestern European nations as Holland, Belgium, Denmark, northern France, Luxembourg, Switzerland, Sweden, Norway. The people of Iceland are also of Viking stock. The political boundaries of Europe as they exist today do not necessarily show lines of division between descendants of these original tribes of Israel. End of quote. So in this podcast series, we've studied each of the tribes individually. We've noted their migrations. But one of the chief identifying passages for each of the tribes is Genesis 49, the the primary prophetic chapter about what these tribes would be like in the end time. Here, the patriarch Jacob calls his sons together, his 12 sons, and he actually prophesies to each of them what each tribal group would become in the last days. Not what they would become, not what they would look like 3,000 years ago, not 2,000 years ago, not even 1,000 years ago, but rather as separate peoples in the last days. This is what verse 1 reads of Genesis 49, quote, And Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. End of quote. Now, Jacob proceeds to describe the specific types of people and nations that each tribe would become and the type of recognizable power and specialities that each would have based on the character of their tribal fathers. It's really a fascinating, detailed, prophetic account of the future of these tribes, of their national identity at the time just prior to the coming of the Messiah. Again, these tribes must be on the scene somewhere. Now, this chapter, as well as another parallel prophecy in Deuteronomy 33, it's incredible in its detail and how well these descriptions of each tribe matches specifically with nations of modern-day Europe. There's no way we can properly summarize all of it here on this program, Each of the programs are up online that we've done in this series, up on our podcast page at watchjerusalem.co.il, and there are numerous specific prophecies for each tribe. But just to put it here in super summary, we've uh, shown how the Commonwealth tribe of Ephraim is Britain and her Commonwealth countries, how the single mighty brother nation of Manasseh is the United States of America. We've looked at the shall we say, romance tribe of Reuben, the son who lost his birthright blessing to Ephraim and Manasseh. And we've looked at how Reuben is France, widely regarded as the nation and having the language of love, and a nation that was on track to become the greatest power in the world at that time, around 1800. They had a a European empire and territory in America under Napoleon's rulership. But they ultimately lost that to the American and British people who took that birthright, just as the Bible describes. We've looked at the little tribe of Asher, the tribe prophesied uh, to be known pretty much only for its fine delicacies. And we've looked at how Asher represents modern-day Belgium, 
again, a nation, little nation, only really known for its fine foods. Largely, that's that's all it's known for. You can Google what is Belgium known for, and that's what you're going to get. Delicacies, royal dainties, as the Bible calls it. Now, we've covered the tribe of personal freedom and feminism, Naphtali, and how they match with modern-day Sweden. And speaking of those personal freedoms that Naphtali is known for, haven't we seen that trait with the coronavirus? Sweden as being the only major Western nation not to go into lockdown. All over the news, Sweden keeping things open, uh, leaving their, their freedoms for the public in place. Continuing on, we've looked at the military and mercenary tribe of Gad and how they are modern-day Switzerland, the landlocked European mountain fortress, with full conscription of its population and more guns per capita than any other in the world besides the U.S. and Yemen. Switzerland, a nation historically renowned for mercenary activity. Now, Gad was also known as a safe haven territory, and that's the same with modern-day neutral Sweden, uh, Switzerland. Continuing on, we've looked at the seafaring, fishing, dredging tribe of Zebulun and how they are the Netherlands, a nation for centuries, the mecca of seaborne trade, and a nation whose land has literally been reclaimed from the sea. We've looked at the populous and traveling tribe of Dan, a tribe that is known for fierce independence and their fight for self-judgment. And we've looked at how they are the Republic of Ireland, together with the enormous Irish diaspora. Uh, it seems everyone's got Irish in them, including me. Uh, so they, they definitely have been a populous tribe, and they spread themselves around, that's for sure. Continuing on, we've, we've examined the two related tribes of Simeon and Levi. Simeon, a, a violent, passionate, and heady tribe, and Levi, the, the coral and folk tribe, uh, both tribes noted for red hair, both prophesied to be enveloped and divided among Israel, within Israel. And we've covered their relation to modern-day Scotland and Wales, respectively. Uh, both entities dominated by another tribe, as the Bible describes, dominated by Ephraim, the British government. We've noted the mule-like tribe of, of Ishaka prophesied to be stuck between two burdens, as the Bible says, as well as linked to the tribe of Zebulun. And we've noted links with the Dutch Friesens, as well as modern-day Finland, a nation stuck, quite literally, between and, and harried by the, the Russians and the Europeans. And we saw that especially in World War II. We've also examined what happened to other smaller parts of certain tribes, how the northern division of ancient Dan became Denmark, or Dan's Mark, as, it, as the name means, the Danes. We've looked at how a part of the violent yet strikingly rich wolf tribe of Benjamin matches up with the Viking, wolf-symbolized, impressively rich nation of Norway. And as we've been going through in these certain progr- uh, in, in these programs, we, we've looked at how certain tribes are largely represented by certain nations. As Mr. Armstrong says, though, there is some overlap. Modern borders do not strictly uh, represent the boundaries of these tribes. There is a Swedish element in Finland, 
there's a strong French contingent in Ephraimite Canada. Northern France, more than southern France, is representative of the descendants of of Reuben. And both Belgium and Switzerland have their linguistic divides and so on. But, But by and large, generally speaking, we've covered the generally representative nations for each of the 12 tribes. Nations whose overall character matches that prophesied for each of the 12 tribes in Genesis 49 and Deuteronomy 33. And we've seen not only how these modern nations parallel the biblical traits in prophesied, uh, in prophecy, their, their last day's traits that Jacob talked about, but we've also seen the evidence for their migration from secular history, even in the corroboration of certain tribal names, and not just the wider Celts representing Israel in general. We've looked at the migration of Danes and Danans, matching with the tribe of Dan. We've looked at the migration of a group called Naphtalites, matching with the biblical Naphtalites. The migration of the Aserites, the Simone people, a name directly paralleling uh, the Hebrew for Simeonites, that migrated into the British Isles. The list of parallels could keep going on and on, highlighting the identity of the lost tribes of Israel. And there are all kinds of things that you could map out to demonstrate this. What about red hair? That's probably something you haven't thought of before. Look at a world map for the prevalence of red hair. It's a known Israelite trait. It's described in the Bible. In fact, it's such an Israelite trait as opposed to a Gentile trait, that in the Spanish Inquisition, those with red hair were automatically considered to be Jewish. According to tradition, there's an especially heavy emphasis on red hair among the Simeonites and the Levites, whom we've identified in large part with Scotland and Wales. Google a red hair map or something like that. What do you see? It's modern-day Israelite nations. It's the Israelite nations in which it is prevalent, especially in Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland. Scotland's the red hair capital of the world. 6% of the population has red hair, and percentages are also high in the northern and western fringes of Europe, those Israelite nations, as well as with the Jews. 11% of all Jewish men have red beards. But the story is completely different in foreign, non-Israelite nations, with just fractions of percentages of people with red hair, even in Western European nations that are non-Israelite, like Spain. Uh, the the, The picture is completely different. Here's another way to, shall we say, map map out modern-day Israel. The Bible references left-handedness a number of times among the Israelites. Look up a list of countries with the most left-handed people. The first nine nations on the list, the first nine countries, are all ones that uh, we've identified with modern-day Israel. The first nine of them. In fact, 11 out of the top 12 nations are all Israelite. Italy slots in there at number 10. Uh, as, a, as a Gentile nation. And then the rest of the nations are, are virtually all the other non-Israelite nations. So what about the other traits? Why do our Western nations largely use Hebrew names for our peoples? 
Joseph, Jacob, Simon, Michael, Daniel, Jeremiah, Rachel, Rebecca, Ruth, Elizabeth, Isabel, Reuben, the list could go on. Why do our nations largely use Hebrew names for our people? Why do we use the Hebrew Bible? Islam doesn't use the Hebrew Bible. Why do our nations use the Hebrew Bible? Even the Catholic-centered Gentile nations, uh, such as Italy, Germany, uh, in large part don't use the Hebrew Bible. Why do we continue to use it? Could there be a Hebrew link to our nations? What about religion? There are the three main Abrahamic religions, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. Why is it that generally people of only the first two, Judaism and Islam, are considered to be descendants of Abraham? What about that major part of Christian Europe? What if many of these are also descendants of Abraham? And further, descendants of the ancient northern kingdom of Israel. But you can also map out modern-day Israel based on sins, sins that ancient Israel was condemned for. Look at a map for the countries leading the way in homosexuality, homosexual marriage, homosexual rights. It is virtually a precise map of modern-day Israel. The U.S., the Israelite nations of Western Europe the Israelite Commonwealth nations, and the Jewish state in the Middle East. Now, of the 30 countries that have legalized homosexual marriage, 20 of them are Israelite nations. The Bible says that that modern-day Israel leads the way in sin, and the first nations to legalize homosexual marriage were all Israelite nations. In fact, seven of the first eight nations to legalize homosexual marriage were all Israelite nations, seven of the first eight. What about the most so-called gay-friendly nations? Eighteen of the top 22 are all Israelites. What about other, other sins? What about pornography? It's the same story, the porn map of the world, as, as it's been called. It's the Israelite nations leading the pack, primarily the U.S., Britain, and the Netherlands, seven out of the top ten nations where porn, nation, porn, porn websites are hosted are Israelite countries, seven out of the top ten. And again, who do we find in the top five nations for drug addiction? The two leading Israelite birthright tribes, the United States and Britain, in the top five nations with drug addiction problems. What about the abortion map? Take a look and surprise, surprise, the Israelites all have legalized abortion, the Israelite nations, and the list could go on and on. And it's for our sins in these last days, that time frame described by Jacob, the last days in his prophecy for each of these tribes, it's for these sins that our Israelite nations are now being cursed and are facing prophesied destruction just before the coming of the Messiah. And this factors into just how important it is to know the identity of the lost tribes of Israel. A third of the Bible is prophecy, a a full third of the Bible, and 90% of that prophecy is directed for the end time. So that's nearly a third of the Bible is prophecy for this end time, for our time today. And the majority of those prophecies are aimed at Israel. 
But who is Israel? Well, in this series, we've been asking and answering that very question. Israel isn't just the Jews. It's not just the Middle Eastern nation called Israel. These people are commonly referenced in Bible prophecy as Judah. But prophecies for Israel are directed at far more nations than just the Jews. And so if God is actually talking to us as Israel in our respective countries, our Western countries, and if God dedicates a major part of his book toward us, then we'd better take note. God does have prophecies about specific tribes. He does prophesy to Judah, the Jews specifically. He does prophesy about Ephraim, Britain, and the British Commonwealth specifically. He does prophesy what Reuben, France, will do in the future, uh, their double cross of her fellow Israelite nations, and what will happen as a result. The Bible contains various specific prophecies about the end-time tribes, and God does prophesy to Israel as a whole. And specifically, the, the prophetic use of the word Israel primarily refers to the United States and British peoples alongside the Jews in the Middle East. And this is because in Genesis 48, going back to the book of Genesis, Jacob specifically puts his prophetic name Israel on the two boys, Ephraim and Manasseh, along with that birthright promise. He puts his name Israel on the boys Ephraim and Manasseh. And again, these would become the leading tribes, the leading birthright tribes, and Judah, of course, the leading scepter tribe. These are the chief tribes. So when we read of prophecies calling out Israel that refer to, uh, especially to those leading Israelite nations, that that's who, they ref- who those prophecies refer to. And again, do request our free book, The United States and Britain in Prophecy, for more information on that and and this entire subject that we've been going through. It's available on our website, and it explains what happened, again, to the lost tribes of Israel, where they went, as well as what happened to the royal scepter promised to David as part of that tribe of Judah, as part of that scepter tribe of Judah. And it reveals what's prophesied to happen to our end-time Israelite nations. Now, God did promise our nations the blessings of Abraham, and particularly the birthright blessings that went to Ephraim and Manasseh, the United States and Britain, those blessings, those promises that came to pass from the 19th century on into the 20th century. We've seen how our Israelite nations have come to lead the world in wealth and riches and power, and God has held up to his end of the bargain his promise to bless our peoples for the obedience of the patriarch Abraham. But it's plainly obvious that we have not held up to our end of the bargain. Our nations have not held on to godly principles. We lead the world in all kinds of vices. It goes without saying. All kinds of vices, rebellion, homosexuality, pornography, abortion, all kinds of satanic music, euthanasia. Uh, Our people dabble in religions of witchcraft. They have a fascination with the occult. Our children grow up on the wildly popular, demon-scented books like Harry Potter, uh, vampire films, you name it. 
alcohol, drug abuse, rampant child abuse, divorce is rife in our societies, and yet we seem to think that we're such an advanced moral society. It's interesting that in this current moral climate, or shall we say immoral climate, it's, it's kind of interesting that it's anathema to use racist language on TV or in movies. You'll get into a whole lot of trouble. Movies are getting pulled or edited for racist language. But blaspheming God? As the Bible says, taking God's name in vain? Not a problem. Nobody bats an eyelid. How much disdain can we show toward God and get away with it? Have you ever wondered why there are so many doomsday prophecies in the Bible, as many people refer to them as? It's precisely for these reasons. This isn't how God would have us live. This isn't how God wants our people to live. Enslaved to drugs, addiction, violence, depression, despair. God has given us every blessing, but we are reaping the consequences of rebellion. And the Bible prophesies chief punishment for the nations of Israel. Why? Because our people have had a relationship with God. Jeremiah 3 verse 14 says, quote, Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Eternal, for I am married unto you. Turn. Now, our people entered a marriage covenant with God, and the Bible uh, describes that, the book of Exodus uh, describes that. We were the people to whom God gave the law. Our people ought to know better. And that's why there is such suffering today. That's why the Bible prophesies one final end-time world war. It calls it a great tribulation, the likes of which this world has never seen. God will, will use this period as a measured punishment on the world in general. But who in particular? Jeremiah 30 verse 7 reads, quote, Alas, for that day is great, so that there is none like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble. And as we've been going through the, in the series, who is prophetic Jacob? As we've seen, it's the nations of Israel, those 12 tribes that descended from him. God gets specific in other prophecies predicting just how this future conflict will, will play out, including the fatal alliances of different Israelite tribes with a, with a deadly German-led European superpower that, that's bent on their destruction. Daniel 2 prophesies an end-time European superpower led by Germany, made up of 10 kings or nations, some of which will be Israelite nations, those nations that we've covered in this series. And we've been prophesying about this happening for some 80 years now, before the European Union even existed. And now here it is. And even secular commentators can see that Germany is the power behind this union. Now, currently, there are 27 nations in the EU. We'll see that change to the prophesied 10 We've been prophesying about Britain's exit from the EU since, I think, the 1970s when they joined. What's that? Some nearly 50 years now. And we've just seen that come to pass. More nations will also fall. Daniel 12 verse 1 continues to describe this time of prophecy that is fast upon us. Quote, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. 
end of quote. Never before has there been such a time like it, like what is just around the corner, great war and tribulation. Now, some people have wondered if another war could happen, another world war. One of my Hebrew teachers, she mentioned to me that she doesn't believe we will have another war, another world war, that our societies are too advanced, they're beyond such base uh, medieval thinking, shall we say. But, but simple logic defies that answer. Our, uh, our people have witnessed in living memory the two worst wars in world history, World War I and World War II. The Jews have suffered the most horrific genocide again in living memory. And now we have the weapons on the planet to wipe out all human life many times over. And that's what the Bible prophesies as well. Were it not for the coming of the Messiah, it prophesies, no flesh would be saved alive. And that prophecy couldn't come true until this end time. People were still fighting with swords up until the last century. It's only now, in the past several decades, that we have the type of weaponry that could fulfill this prophecy, the potential to wipe out all flesh, all human life. And so that's why God warns his people. That's why the Bible on your bookshelf, that, that's what it's there for. It's a warning. It's, it's instruction and it's a warning in love to turn. That's what Jeremiah and the prophets repeatedly warn. Turn, O backsliding children, Israel. God doesn't want for us to have to go into such tribulation to learn that lesson. God wants our people to, to wake up and to not simply drift into oblivion as we're doing. But the Bible isn't a doomsday book. The Bible isn't a doomsday book. It does prophesy a time of great tribulation and utter destruction, but it also prophesies what follows, repentance and redemption. And that's what God is looking for, repentance for his people to turn to him. And that very thing is brought out in those same passages that we've read. Here's the full part of Daniel 12, verse 1. We read, quote, And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. End quote. And this is what the full verse in Jeremiah 30 says. Jeremiah 30, verse 7, quote, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Now, the nations of Israel will eventually repent, will eventually be saved. And the, the Bible prophesies the coming Messiah, who will lead them to heights of prosperity the likes of which have never been seen before. This period is prophesied in numerous scriptures uh, throughout the Bible. It's a paradise that is spoken of where the, where the world will finally be free of war, of hunger, of pain and suffering, where all will know and worship God, where, where uh, you're probably familiar with the, the phrase, swords being beaten into plowshares, no more war, swords beaten into plowshares. And the Bible prophesies that the Israelite nations will rise again and will help lead the world, will lead the world toward God. 
So I'll conclude this program with the full passage from Jeremiah 30, verse 7 onwards. It's a beautiful passage that reads as follows. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. For it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Eternal of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off your neck, and burst your bonds, and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him. But they shall serve the Eternal their God, and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. Therefore fear you not, O my servant Jacob, saith the Eternal, neither be dismayed, O Israel, for, lo, I will save you from afar, and your seed from the land of their captivity, and Jacob shall return." and shall be in rest, and be quiet, and none shall make him afraid. For I am with you, says the Eternal, to save you. Though I make a full end of all nations where I have scattered you, yet will not I make a full end of you, but I will correct you in measure, and will not leave you altogether unpunished. I have wounded you with the wound of an enemy, with the chastisement of a cruel one, for the multitude of your iniquity, because your sins were increased. Because your sins were increased, I have done these things unto you. The fierce anger of the Eternal shall not return until he has done it and until he has performed the intents of his heart. In the latter days you shall consider it. Thanks for joining us on today's program. If you've got any comments or feedback, please send that to us at letters at watchjerusalem.co.il. Thanks again, and till next time.